Hey, what is up? Thanks for listening to Work Stuff. This time, I'm chatting with one of my best friends from high school, Matthew Shu. He's a radiation therapist, which means he works with cancer patients who are going through chemotherapy. It's heavy, and I wasn't expecting some of it, honestly. We chat about some of the ways AI might affect the healthcare industry, and how physically and emotionally draining a career in healthcare can be in general. Always enjoy chatting with Matt about life in general. He's one of those people I only get to see a few times a year if I'm lucky, but we pick right up where we left off every time. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Word Stuff. Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so, because it's just for listening. I'm the guy who brings up Word Stuff at parties. My name is Andy, and I want you to join me. stories casually told Ooh, this is fancy it's telling you that that Got you're being it. recorded that's the yeah. law oh well at least they're following the law it used to be like when you recorded calls like at yeah. work you'd have to like tell people hey is it cool if i record this first but now like just the bot does it you know oh that's interesting let's just have bots do everything for us it's funny because ai has been around for a while and i feel like yeah. everybody's just like yeah let's just get on board it's finally time well, AI is like pretty freaking smart now. Like it's just a yeah. whole nother level. It's astounding. Interesting to think about how AI will affect your field too in the medical, just the medical oh, realm in yeah. general. A ton. Like it's already done it and it's going to be like even more coming up soon. So um, I think it's going to be like a huge, there's going to be a lot of controversy in regards to a lot of like insurance and coverage and stuff too. Yeah. Interesting. Let's just dive into it. Where do you envision AI like entering your your world of, of healthcare? So, especially in like radiation therapy, which what I do. So, I treat cancer patients. So that involves a lot of like medical imaging. So we're taking MRIs, CTs, X-rays. It requires a lot of radiation planning, which means there's a lot of calculations. And the doctor like says like I want to treat here, not here, and he kind of draws that area. It also means mm -hmm. that he's analyzing like okay, this is like the esophagus and this is the stomach, all with the images that we took. Mm -hmm. So what AI is actually really good at doing is being consistent, right? Like computers are going to be way more consistent than human beings. So when it comes to like looking at an image and seeing that all of our images are just grays, like black, white, grays, right? So there's no color involved. And sometimes it can be difficult for the human eye to, to pinpoint the difference between one gray value to another. But a computer can do that easily because it's just a number value for it. So it can mm. create volumes, like line up um, different organs on its own right away. So, I mean, we're going to get to a point like right now we already have AI and this is something that's been pushed past like five years. It started only like five years ago. AI has been like reading uh, radiographs. So it's been reading C MRIs, CTs, uh, x-rays, and then uh, radiologists review them. So, you know, at the end of the day, the doctor still makes sure everything's right or, mm -hmm. you know, makes the diagnosis, but AI just helps them kind of streamline the process and they don't have to be like, okay, here's like another basic thing. Here's another basic thing. Like AI is just going to go through it and make that all easy for them to do so right. they can get through more images quicker. So yeah, like it's stuff that's mundane and repetitive, but still needs an expert. Exactly. So yeah, all the mundane 
things, which happens a lot more in healthcare than you'd expect, but all that mundane yeah. stuff involving computers, it's going to be pivotal. Even like, you know, you talk about uh, AI developing documents and everything we already use. So doctors already use dictation and they just do verbal dictation and then it writes out, you know, text on a page. And they've been doing that for a lot longer than it's been public, you know? So I feel like only recently that's been a thing people are using it at school and all that stuff but um, doctors have been using it for a while now and with ai creating templates and creating scripts and everything it's going to even make i think that's going to be utilized even more for um, physicians because you know they'll, they'll be able to alter different diagnoses and different um, plans on paper quicker because ai will just develop that you know they can just say key points about something and then the ai will write the rest and then they will just review it, right? Because um, that's a lot of time yeah. spent for the doctor. Doctors, that's like, I would say that's half the physician's job is just write notes. Wow. Yeah, that makes no sense to go to med school and become an expert in all this just to like take up your time doing things that can get a computer to do the robot thing that you're trying to get the doctor to do, you know, be consistent yeah. and, and structured. Yeah, exactly. Another place it comes into play is like doctors, um, especially nowadays fight so much with insurance companies just to get coverage. The unfortunate side of like United States healthcare is that the general public thinks a doctor decides what to do with a patient. And to somewhat mm -hmm. that is still the, the case, but there is a point where the doctor says, Hey, I, I know this is a good test to do, or I know this is a good uh, procedure to do, but we have to make sure your insurance is going to cover it. And right. the insurance doesn't cover it the insurance will throw another idea out. Like, we won't cover this, but we'll cover this one. Even though the initial pitch by the doctor is the best for the patient, the other one might work, but, you know, there might be more side effects or whatever. It might be like an older method of doing something, but that's all the insurance covers. So that communication between the doctor and insurance is there's so much time wasted there just because of logistics with insurance companies. Yeah, I think AI is going to do a good job of speeding that along, both the insurance companies and physicians utilizing it. Mm -hmm. So insurance companies always, number one, that's they just want to make money. AI is going to help them do that. So the it'll be very interesting because there's going to be like almost like a clash between AI versus yeah. AI. Right. See yeah. which one works, you know, right. which one can get ahead. It's um, like uh, AI is negotiating against each other. Exactly. Humans almost. Yeah. That's and that's scary. like, that's where we create like the super AI that's going to take over all of medicine. Yeah. Right. right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a big deal too. So hopefully that interaction is a positive one. Hmm. Uh, but I mean, only time will tell there. There's kind of one last point with the AI communication is right now, if you look at the charting methods for each medical facility, a lot of people don't know that every medical facility just contracts with a software company to use their charting system. Okay. So a big name is Epic, right? They, I think they won out the, uh, the VA contract years ago. So they're like one of the most common players when it comes to electronic medical systems. So everybody's kind of using a different thing, but that also means that it's not always easy to transfer information. So when you go get an x-ray one place and you go, to another place and say, Hey, I got this x-ray. Could you check it out? Right. They might not be able to just pull it up right away. Like, mm -hmm. like in the, the world of the internet, they should be able to, 
but just because of logistics, they can't. Um, and HIPAA. And yeah, HIPAA, they can't. But <laughs> if it's medical facility to medical facility, like we should be able to bridge that gap yeah. um, quickly and easily. But sometimes we still get DVDs burned and mailed. Oh, man. Like, that's archaic, right? Jeez. But that's that's commonplace. That's like 50% of the time. I, I'm saying 50% of the time, but like it, it happens a lot. Yeah. All the time. And it's like, why are we doing wow. this? Wow. So AI can, because I, you, we all know that the software companies aren't going to go away and they're not going to work with each other, right? Because they're competitors. But AI will be able to uh, hopefully communicate with each other and both software companies will develop their own AI. So that mm-hmm. interaction can happen on its own without spending all the manpower to just get one image to another facility. Right. So the company was called Epic, right? Yeah. That you mentioned. Yeah. There's like 13,000 employees. Yeah. Um, it's huge. Very interesting. It make, makes sense. Yeah. Like uh, freedom of information where it's needed for patients and can still be, you know, encrypted or protected somehow. And then having AI talk to each other from different facilities, I guess. That's so wild to think about though. I know. I mean, that's uh, that's kind of where we're headed. And I mean, at the end of the day, like medicine's a business. And if AI can like solve that huge problem, then yeah. I heard we... um, some some ideas that like you'd have an AI doctor or at least like think about like remote areas of the world or the country, I guess, um, but just places that don't have access to like top tier medical care or a doctor who can diagnose them. But having an AI do it, like uh, you know, maybe you can do the, just as good of a, of a result. Um, and it doesn't take, you know, a month to like wait to see some like really important doctor. Um, things like that seem kind of interesting, but I yeah. just wonder how much can you trust like that some AI doctor, you know? I, I guess that's where the question lies because like all the things I, I was describing is, you know, there there has to be a little bit of trust to the AI to make sure it all runs, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, if someone comes in with like a fever and chills and they have a temperature and then, you know, you do a blood test, AI will probably be able to dish out the top 10 diagnoses or whatever that Mm -hmm. they probably have. But then there's other things that make it, that's a little more complicated, like just looking at a patient, looking at their pallor, um, their gait, like how they're walking, um, even like signs like how does their breath smell and stuff like that. That's the, those things that can't really be put mm-hmm. into data as easily. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff will be missed by AI. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, places like third world countries where they need something that can be helpful, but it is dangerous to kind of just rely on AI to do stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, it's funny because I just had a conversation with someone where it's like third world countries. It's, this is like the super unfortunate, like dark side. But third world countries are almost like the testing ground for a lot of new medical practices because there's not as many hoops that companies have to go through, even though if it, even though it could be amazing, like astounding, right? The amount of money right. spent just trying to be able to test here is way different than going to third world country and then doing clinical trials there. So I think, it, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely see AI, I feel, play a bigger role there first before it moves over here. A good point. Yeah. Um, it's where the need is the most and yeah, the least regulation. Interesting. Um, cool, man. Like it'd be interesting to listen to these thoughts after AI has taken over your hospital, you know, 
yeah <laughs> see see like how many areas it affects your life and maybe it's just a one-person hospital in the future i know i mean it, like it's already getting a little scary because there's a, already talks of you know, physicians not being able to actually work like i think like telehealth is becoming a huge thing already but now it seems like insurance companies are trying to push back and say like you can't do that and it sounds like you know the u.s government's trying to say you know you have to see people in person and you know i actually agree with that you know you need to see people but and there's certain instances where it's not necessary. So like psychology, you might, I'm not a psychologist, right? But I feel like you would get a similar experience talking to someone consistently in telehealth over seeing them only once in a while in person. And if AI becomes more common and there's like less physicians needed, then I think you're going to see a huge, like there's going to be a huge struggle between physicians staying in the field and physicians trying to get in. Yeah, and plus you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have some doctors who basically, or maybe not doctors, but you're gonna have some professionals somewhere who like basically cheated on tests by using AI, and so basically you're just hiring an AI person anyways, <laughs> and they're just using AI to do their job. <laughs> yeah, or something. But yeah, like they're, I don't know. That, that'll be interesting to see how you like even move through school and testing and um, graduating. When, yeah, how do you protect against that? Yeah, I mean, that was like a, a topic we were talking about. We know we've already had discussions with people whose children have used AI in college to write their papers, right? Yeah. So like, and it's indistinguishable to a professor from which one's what. And some of those people get like the top mark in the, in the class, right? So yeah. it's not like AI is doing a bad job. It's doing a really good job. And those people getting ahead might not fully grasp the concepts, you know, like they can grasp all the key bullet points, but putting it all together is difficult. And I think yeah. a, something um, that's like a negative of AI is like, we're, we're going to lose the ability to put our ideas all together on our own. Right. And that's not like it'll happen all at one time. You know, it's like a slow progression of, you know, I think a big part of understanding something is being able to explain it and write it out. And anybody that's taught someone something else is don't you'll realize like if you thought you know something and then you try to teach it, if you don't really right. understand it fully, then it's way harder to do. Uh, so writing papers and stuff like that definitely um, solidifies and ingrains ideas. And in healthcare, that's super important, right? So mm -hmm. um, it's one thing to just mimic what the textbook says, and it's another thing to really understand what what's going on there. And yeah, I use that in my day to day. I'm not a physician, but I'm the person that sees the patient every day. So I'm the mm -hmm. person that has to see if a patient's acting differently or they're developing symptoms that's off, like abnormal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that isn't textbook written down stuff. It's just right. me understanding the process and being able to say like, "Hey, this is this is a little odd. Um, let's look more into that." Yeah, I mean, all all I'm hearing is that we just put cameras all over the hospital and like they can tell who you are and like scan your body. And then it's like, gives you a, a report afterwards or whatever. <laughs> oh, this person's actually limping a little bit or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like AI can definitely, I mean, we've seen AI um, be able to recognize, you know, visual, like they use it in security a lot when someone's acting a little weird or something, AI can mm -hmm. like flag people. Uh, and I'm sure that hospitals can use that, but I'll tell you, like healthcare workers are, you would be surprised how few healthcare workers are into tech, tech, and like the advancement of technology, even mm -hmm. though that's something they're on the cutting edge of. Yeah, 
So interesting. That makes them very wary of something new and odd like AI coming in because they aren't comfortable with the whole new concept. And it's more difficult for them to see the application. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's always a lot it. of pu- pushback when it comes to like new tech coming in. Yeah, I get it. It's just like uh, like the generation before us with computers and, you know, the f- like, I don't know if it was the fear of losing your job to a computer or if it was more like, I don't understand this and I don't want people to realize that I don't understand this. I like my little world that doesn't change, you know? Yeah. But like, yeah, there's going to be a generation of workers in every industry that's just like not used to having an AI assistant everywhere. Yeah, it's going to be so weird, man. Like, uh, yeah, even for me, like, I feel like I'm more into tech and stuff than a lot of other people in healthcare, but like trusting AI to do some stuff, like I'll, I'll be that old man that's like, yeah, I don't know yeah. if I want to do that. But the thing about every like healthcare career is that there's clinical work involved before you get the career. So you have to spend enough time and do enough exams and whatever to be able to sit for your boards. Mm. And during that clinical time, if AI is around, they will be, those people will be trained clinically to use AI the correct mm. way. Right. So you'll see that adoption happen faster than you might expect. But the people that weren't involved with that type of training uh, there might there will probably be a lot of them that are more resistant against adopting all of that. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. So you mentioned bits of like the steps in your career, like the clinical side. Uh, how did you start to map that out when you were an adolescent? You know, I think a big part. So like, big part for me was just my family, right? I think that influences a lot of people is what they grew up around. So when you talk about, you know, I used to be in photography, and you look at the history of a lot of famous photographers. A lot of them were somehow involved with a lot of travel with their family or their family was in the art industry or something. And that kind of pushed them towards the direction of photography because they were influenced by that. Um, I know it was the same way with uh, healthcare was, you know, a lot of my family, like I'm half Filipino. So a lot of my family was nurses. And then my dad's side, a lot of them, we have a lot of NPs and nurses. And so I was just surrounded by healthcare growing up and my family really encouraged that. But at the same time, growing up, I didn't even know if I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. So I was more interested in a lot of like tech and engineering and I like working with my hands. So um, mm-hmm. like I was in the engineering club in high school and stuff. Like I did programming with one of our other buddies, Kale. Like we did, I took those courses with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that a lot. Uh, and then I got to a tipping point kind of the first year in college was, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I did in high school, I did the sports med thing. So I got a feel of what healthcare was like a little bit there. And then I did the engineering thing. So I got a feel of how that was there. And I, junior high school, I stopped the engineering thing and then, but I continued sports med. So for me, that was like an indication of like, okay, this is what I like to do more. Mm -hmm. Um, But in hindsight, sports med is nothing like (laughs) any other healthcare field. So Mm -hmm. that was a poor poor example for me to have made a decision off of but um i kind of did so it's funny yeah and my whole family was like going to nursing going to nursing going to nursing and and i grew up hearing the nursing stories but i knew or they were like become a doctor become a doctor Um, so is is the nursing thing um the popular profession for filipino people like oh yeah is that like why is that i guess uh 
I'm oh. just curious. Is that just like a path uh, to, you know, achieve the American dream? I yeah. Guess? Yeah. It's, it's a big part of it. So there's two reasons, I think. Um, I'm not the expert of all Filipinos, right? But um, <laughs> well, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I definitely have the badge to prove it too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think there's two reasons why. Uh, one is because uh, I think in World War II, there was historically the U.S. went to the Philippines and they established a lot of bases there, and then they also established a lot of schools there, and they allowed the resident Filipinos to become nurses through programs there. And even to this day, um, if you, I think, to, yeah, to this day, if you take, you know, nursing courses in the Philippines and come over, like they transfer. Um, so I actually, I don't, we, we know someone in high school that did that. Mm. She went to school in the Philippines for nursing and then came back. So that's one reason why, like, it's been ingrained in, in the community and the culture for, for years there. And the other reason is um, just the culture of like Filipinos to be very caring and giving um, if you've ever met like a Philippine mom, they're always going to try to push food on you, right? And like feed you and take care of you. Totally. Um, so I think that innate culture, um, which is ingrained in a lot of us, makes healthcare seem really appealing because you know that's that's the job you need to take care of mm-hmm. people and get paid to do that. So that personality that we all adopt is uh, definitely fits well with the career. So yeah, yeah nursing, gotcha. yeah, nursing especially. But that wasn't for you, doctor and nursing. Yeah. First year of college, I talked to my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, um, and he's a radiologist, right? So I, I was able to talk to him and get a lot of insight on you know, what the education to become a physician was like, what residency was like, you know, what the lifestyle was like. And I realized like that's not what I wanted. The, the pay was definitely appealing, but... Mm-hmm. I didn't want my entire life to be my whole career. So sure. I didn't, and I knew at, even at that time, I knew that I liked healthcare, I liked medicine, but I didn't see myself doing it 24 seven, which meant like yeah. I needed the break away from it. And with a physician, that's a lot harder to do. You know, you have to take home a lot more. Your time working isn't just nine to five usually your personal life gets more involved into your work life when you're a physician. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't for me. So I said, you know, I'm not interested in that really. Um, and then the other thing was like, I didn't think I was smart enough. And that's weird to say mm-hmm. now. But yeah, I mean, like you talk to physicians and, you know, you, you kind of idolize them growing up. If you're interested in healthcare, and you're like, this guy's a genius. And yeah, I, I, I compared myself to my brother-in-law and he's like, astounding like a genius right like he's a Mm. interventional neuro radiologist which means like this guy's working on brains and stuff with Mm -hmm. like microscopes and like you know it's it's what you see in like house and stuff this guy's that's what this guy does (laughs) um and i knew i wasn't that smart and i thought you had to be that smart to become a physician but i realized like you know there's at the time i didn't realize like you know there's different levels and i'm not smart enough to do that but i might have been able to excel in a different field but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it wasn't for me. The lifestyle wasn't for me. So that was a good mm-hmm. pick there. And then nursing wise, I heard all the stories growing up and my vision of nursing with the shadowing and stuff was very stressed and impersonal. So uh, it was a lot of like running around miscommunication and that all had to do with one, like the stories my family told because 
that's how my family communicated. They just de-stressed their work. So that's what we talked about was like the bad things. And that just helped, you know, we understood that's how we just get things off our chest and, you know, get over it. But to me, the, the insight I got was like, I don't know if I want that lifestyle. And looking back, like I could have totally done nursing because there was other options that I didn't know about, but mm-hmm. that was kind of on me. And that was a, what kind of spurred off like my podcast was to encourage people to look into careers and explain mm-hmm. what everything there is. Because if I talk to myself back then in college, I would be like, go to nursing. But oh, really? Yeah, because there's so many more avenues nurses have than any other healthcare career. They're the last career that is holding on to the old ways. And what I mean by the old ways is like, they're still able to train into different departments and have the flexibility to start something that they want to do and have more dynamic movement. And when you enter healthcare and a lot of other healthcare careers, when you lock into a career, that's it. Like you're on that, that line and to get out of it's a lot harder. Um, I think nurses still have a huge opportunity option that isn't allowed to anyone else. And that's something that shouldn't be underestimated, but yeah. So, but at the end of the day, I didn't go into that. So (laughs) I ended up going into x-ray first because it was kind of a merge between my high school interests, you know, uh, tech and healthcare. And x-ray was kind of the, the, the merge of that was, you know, I, I still get to take care of people, but I'm also using this cool tech. And I had a third interest was like film and photography and actually like fit all the check marks, right? Like I'm, I'm taking photos, doing right. healthcare, right. Using cool, cool equipment. Right. Boom, boom, yeah. boom. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So that brought me into there. And then radiation therapy was the next step, both like in maturity and emotional. Like I was, I wouldn't, wasn't emotionally ready at that time, but couple years ago after having a kid i realized like i want to be connected more to people in x-ray you don't really see people very often like you see mm-hmm. them for 30 three minutes 10 15 minutes at a time and then they're gone but sometimes mm-hmm. you're curious on what happens like you'll take an x-ray of someone and they have lung cancer and you're like what happened to that one guy he was kind of cool Interesting. or wow. you'll take an x-ray of a like the hardest were like the pediatric patients where yeah you know they come in i like i remember i I have a vivid memory of taking an x-ray of a, like a skull series of a pediatric patient. And this is an outpatient clinic. Um, I took the x-rays, they pop up and I can see like a higher density, which means like there's something in this kid's brain, but I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I bring it to the radiologist and the radiologist has the, the parents and the kids stay. And I was like, do you want to talk to them? And he was like, no, I don't want to talk to them. Like he was mad about it. And this guy was like a nice guy, but he was super pissed. But he didn't want to talk to them because he was the one who had to give them the bad news. The news that Mm. your kid, your like three-year-old has something growing in their brain. And that, that's like such a vivid memory. And that not knowing what happened to that kid was one of the reasons why I got pushed to the field. Um, I mean, the other one was like, my mom went through radiation treatment as well. And I got to meet radiation therapists and learn more about the field. And I realized like, yeah, this is pretty cool. I want to do that. Yeah. Wow, man. That's, that's powerful. So uh, when, when you saw that image on the, uh, for that kid, did uh, you were a dad at that point? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. 
the, that my yeah. my son was only a year old. So I mean, I okay. think that's why it hit home a little more too. Was you know, yeah, I had a I had a son, and you know the kids, the kid came in, and I was like, you know, you re- you relate to some patients better than others, and you know, I got along with the kid really well. It's a goofy little kid, but and he was happy, but you know, he had this thing growing in his head. He had headaches that wouldn't go away. So yeah, yeah, that was definitely impactful. Yeah, I can only imagine, man. And so. You, but you said that, I mean, both you and your radiologist, you know, partner here are both like, you both have this news and he's like frustrated that he has to give this news, but then you're frustrated that you don't get to know what happens. You know, it's just like a big empty question. It's like, you know, which choose your poison almost. Yeah, exactly. There's, and I think that's one of the things with any career, you're never going to get everything you want, but after that, and there's countless more examples I could give of wondering like what happened to this person. And every once in a while, I would get them, they would come back for, you know, a follow-up exam. And it was always awesome to see what happened to them, like get their story. So switching to radiation therapy, I, I was able to, I, now I'm able to be involved in their story and mm-hmm see what's going on with them through, you know, one of the hardest things in someone's life is going through cancer treatment. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty wild, man. It's a crazy daily life to have. Um, you know, I, I, I meet strangers every day, you know, I like that, yeah. but it's a uh, very lightweight, very like casual and, uh, you know, friendly and, uh, happy, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I think, um, I mean, you you would be surprised how like spirited and uplifting and positive most people are during their treatment. I think you truly do see like some of the best in people during their cancer treatment, and it's always astounding. Like these these people are always giving back. Like every time, you know, patients come in and they wait in a waiting area to get called back for their treatment. But I can't tell you how many times uh, patients like connect with each other and then end up like playing games while they're waiting or like we'll hear like loud, loud laughing in the waiting area. Cause like they're just getting along great and telling these crazy stories and um, sharing their journey with each other. And it's just amazing because, you know, when you talk about cancer, you think about like the doom and gloom and there, there's definitely hard times. There's definitely times when patients come in and are just having a rough, rough time, mm-hmm. but you know, that's only a, maybe a quarter of the time compared to the rest of the time, you know, they're pushing for their life and they're pushing for being happy and uh, right. they don't want the treatment itself to define, you know, the rest of their life. So yeah, it's just amazing, man. Like uh, to see that firsthand and interact with that is, is a whole different experience. Yeah. That's awesome, man. And so, so, so you made that change. Um, I guess, what are the implications of someone who was, you know, doing the x-rays who wants to now do a career shift is that a, is that out of the ordinary is it pretty common or did you have to like jump through a lot of hoops and pull your hair out to do it <laughs> i think uh i think it's it's common so like going from x-ray to radiation therapy is common but the thing about healthcare now is like the education process is is muddy and convoluted so um you can go straight into that without having without having an imaging background or you can go into it having an imaging background and 
Mm-hmm. I went into a school where it was required. Um, so everybody I in my class, you know, they had some sort of medical experience before coming in. So sure. it's definitely cost more. I mean, a big thing about like when I talked about nursing's having a lot of opportunity, like a lot of times they can change departments and almost like their entire career without having to pay for more education. Gotcha. That option isn't available for a lot of healthcare workers. So like it cost me, I think it was $30,000 to go back to radiation therapy school. Right. See, right. Uh, So that's $30,000. And then on top of that, the school itself is a full time. So you're spending 40 hours a week in clinicals and that doesn't include study time. So it makes it extremely difficult to work on top of going right. back to healthcare school. So the overall cost, you know, we're not just talking about the brass tax costs, like opportunity costs there is, right. uh, it depends on your annual wage. So like for me, that was like, like 70,000, 60, 70,000. So, I mean, like at the end of the day, it cost me like a hundred thousand, right. To go back to school. Right. That's um, crazy. Yeah. Jeez. So, so that's something to consider. And like, that's why it's so, I think it's getting harder and harder for healthcare workers now to make switches like that. And that's why I, I kind of idolize nurses. And I think it's like awesome. It's, and it's not to say they don't have to work for it, but they, a lot of times they don't need to spend that time and money to make a change for themselves. And that's why like we re- highly recommend nurses now is like going into nursing. is like, if you're interested in healthcare and you're not sure, shadow a nurse in multiple different departments. Mm. First, see what each department's like and if you like one of them, then go into nursing because you can change your mind later. And as you get older, people change. So maybe that you don't want to do that department, but you don't have to go back to school to change the department you work in. Right. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah. What, what are all the departments? Like what, um, you know, I'm, I don't know, I can think of a handful, but I don't know what would. So like a, like long when you talk about like, <laughs> it's very long, especially yeah, for nurses. Say. It's okay. very, very long. But like a, a good example would be like a nurse in the ED, like doing the emergency room stuff, their life is going to be way different than a nurse in radiation oncology, right? Okay. Um, if you work in the ED in like the slums of LA, you're going to see a lot, like you're going to be a runaround. It's going to be like blood everywhere. Your life's going to be crazy and they, they'll pay you really well. And some people love that, right? They like being on the edge, um, but that's going to be way different than radio, radiation oncology where your life's going to be a little more, a lot more slower. Like you're going to see patients every 30 minutes, you're going to room them, check their vitals, spend the time to talk to them. You know, that's going to be a lot more slow, low key. So you'll see a lot of like, this happens all the time. A lot of the nurses in the ED end up moving on to a different department because that's not sustainable for a lot of people, right? As we get older, our bodies break down. Like a big thing no one talks about is healthcare is a physical job. You know, if your body's not able to move a patient and lift people that are 250 pounds, you can't do the job. Right. And as we get older, we get less and less capable of doing that. So you'll see more and more people as they get older change departments into something that's a little more low key. Yeah, I see. And so you don't you don't have that luxury necessarily, but I guess you're also not lifting big patients. Yeah. Uh, I'm still lifting big patients. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like a cancer treatment is oh. kind of crazy. So oh, okay. Yeah, like a. Okay. A big side effect of chemotherapy, which is who we work with okay. hand in hand, is what's called neuropathy. So they can't walk around very well and they can't feel their limbs very well. So you do this all the time. So yeah, I'm still moving people around and stuff, but I'm doing it less than I did in x-ray. So that 
that helps out, but it's still like a daily thing. Uh, yeah, this is where we need AI to be to be helpful, you know. Yeah, if we can stuff. Yeah, if we can make like create a bot, like a physical robot that right. was like AI intelligent enough to help lift, or even that's why I like I'm I follow. I don't closely follow, but I just like keep track of where our um, technology in regards to like construction work lifters and stuff, mm. like the exoskeletons are starting right. to become more and more popular. I'm like, oh my gosh, if that becomes important enough, it'll get adopted by healthcare and that'll just like blow everything out of the water because it, lifting 250 pounds rigid, like squatting to, like, I can't squat 250. I'm a small person, but I could squat 180. So like I could, if squatting 180 with a bar is way different than trying to lift someone dead weight, yeah, like it's right. a completely different thing. So your body mechanics just are not optimized. So yeah, injuries happen all the time. It's a common problem that you know, it's a billion dollar idea. Just go build it. Yeah. Go it's do like, it. When are we doing it? But I'll tell you, like healthcare is always, uh, it seems like they're the last adopters. Yeah, totally. That's funny. So I mean, yeah, I used to work for a company that sold uh, electronic fax software, mostly to medical, you know, like either hospitals or insurance companies because they couldn't send like patient files via email. Like yes. they had to use fax. They had to use uh, the fax line because it was secure. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just created a software tool that like used the faxing technology so that it was HIPAA compliant. Jeez, it's just like oh my god, it's just still so dumb. to this day. Yeah, and I mean, like, yeah, it's amazing. Like we're still like healthcare's one of the last things still using a fax machine. Though I don't want to <laughs> go anywhere near healthcare. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole that's that's a logistics game right there. And so, how long have you been doing the radiation side? Then, how many years you have under your belt there? Uh, it's been three, I think three ish years. Yeah, three and some change. Cool. You know, long enough to get an understanding. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. I, I, I wasn't sure. It was like pandemic, basically. Yeah. It was a good time to, to go back to school. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So then how do you, so do you, do you enjoy it then? Like, do you feel like that was a great switch and that you found the right, the right fit and you, you know, you, you, you get to be more involved in these kinds of, kinds of stories? Yeah, I think it's a good fit, but, you know, at the end of the day, I can't do it my whole life. Mm -hmm. I think you'll find a lot of, like I'm a millennial, so you'll find a lot of millennials who are now in healthcare that will tell you, you know, we can't do this our whole lives. I think a big part of that is the physical demand. For me, it's the physical demand. So when I was an x-ray, I injured my back early on in my career and a back injury never goes away. So, you know, it, as I get older and older, it gets harder and harder to deal with that. So it doesn't matter how much I work out and stuff. It's just like, you can't fix, you know, like a bulging disc. You can't fix your bulging disc with exercise. It'll go back and forth and they'll just pop up, especially because like I said, we deal with dead weight. So that's a big limiting factor. And then there's also like the emotional toll. Like I, I talked about the great stuff and like it, it, it is astounding to see people be so bright. Um, but at the same time, you know, you lose people that, that you get get attached to like some people right. you see for months at a time and then they pass away and that's hard too right so you feel like you build a connection with someone and they almost become like a friend and then they die and that happening over and over and over over the course yeah. of you know decades of work you know that can that can kind of wear you down 
I think a big key is to, you know, learn how to cope with that and understand that, you know, that's one person you helped brighten their life through their time on this earth. But, right. you know, over the decades, I don't see myself being able to compensate for that as, as well as I get older. So I think those two reasons are why, like, I, I love it now, but a couple decades, maybe even one decade from now, I don't know where I'll be. Right. Just so emotionally draining. Yeah. It's emotionally and physically draining. Yeah. And there's other people that do it their whole lives and they're able to do it. And like, that's amazing too, right? Yeah. To have that grit and have that physical capability is amazing. Awesome, man. Do you want to, I know we didn't talk a ton about your podcast, but you want to just mention like what it is that you started. I want nice. you to tell us, tell us about it. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny you say that because it was like the running joke with some group of friends now is like, I'm a millennial, so I have a podcast, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, we we have a podcast. It's called uh, Rad Guys Talk. This one's called Rad Guys Talk Healthcare. Like I mentioned before, the whole point is really just to help out new and aspiring healthcare workers and kind of guide them to the right direction that would work out well for them because healthcare is very complicated and convoluted and there's not a lot of information out there that's right. You know, if you Google information about healthcare, usually it's way off base. So um, the goal is just to clarify a lot of things there and then just provide some entertainment. We talk about a lot of um, cool healthcare stories and then we're right now we're starting to cover more and more um, like weird healthcare history stories and then teach you a little bit of stuff along the way. So yeah, I mean, we're on every platform you can listen to. So uh, yeah, look us up, radguystalk.com. We have a website too, radguystalk.com. Get it. Go get it. Yeah. Uh, Your guys, you talk and you are rad. Yeah. I mean, accurate. Boom. Both work with radiation. (laughs) Yeah. I love that name. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, well, I appreciate the time, man. It was really cool to hear hear your story, hear about some of the emotional side, you know, of, yeah. of your job that I wasn't expecting, but I, I dig it. Um, and you know, you're in that sector of the the society that like we need, and <laughs> works so hard and goes unnoticed. So appreciate yeah. you, man. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Of course, thanks, dude. Have a good one. Thanks for joining Word Stuff. Can you see my screen? No, I don't think so, because it's just for listening. I'm the guy who brings up Word Stuff at parties. My name is Andy, and I thank you for joining me. Word Stuff, a podcast. Professional stories casually told on Work Stuff.